Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Isaiah 25, 1 through 10. Listen for what God is saying to you. You are my Lord. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things. Planned long ago, faithful and sure. You have turned the city into rubble, the fortified town into a ruin, the fortress of foreigners into a city no more, never to be rebuilt. Therefore, strong people will glorify you. The towns of tyrant nations will fear you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in distress, a hiding place from the storm, a shade from the heat. When the breath of tyrants is like a winter storm or like a heat in the desert, you subdue the roar of foreigners. Like heat shaded by a cloud, the tyrant's song falls silent. On this mountain, the Lord of heavenly forces will prepare for all peoples a rich feast, a feast of choice wines, of select foods, rich in flavor, of choice wines, well refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the veil that is veiling all peoples, the shroud enshrouding all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe tears from every face. He will remove his people's disgrace from off the whole earth. For the Lord has spoken. They will say on that day, Look, this is our God for whom we've waited, and he saved us. This is the Lord whom we've waited. Let's be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The Lord's hand will indeed rest on this mountain. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. Um, Why don't we pray? God, we are grateful for the gift to come together and to um, enjoy fellowship, uh, not only with those who gather in this space, but those who gather Um, as a cloud of witnesses who have journeyed before us, who have laid the groundwork for us to be here today. And so um, on this day, as we uh, particularly lean in close into that thin space, um, we ask that your spirit would move in new and powerful ways, that you would open our hearts and minds, uh, that we might receive the things that you um, would have to say to us today, and that we might be um, transformed um, for your purposes in this world. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So uh, this past week, I actually also happened to be in my travels. I was catching up on different podcasts um, that, I, uh, that I enjoy, and I happened to listen to a recent episode of This American Life. Um, the episode, maybe some of you have heard it, was focused on the many mass shootings that have occurred um, in schools. And at one point, they introduced a couple uh, named Sandy and Mitch Phillips. Now, Sandy and Mitch are the parents of Jesse, who was shot and killed when a gunman opened fire at a movie theater in Aurora, Colorado. And now they travel as much as they're able. They're they're not very wealthy. They live in a trailer, um, and they're retired. Uh, But they travel as much as they're able to locations where mass shootings occur. They don't really have an agenda. They just show up, 
each wearing a big button that has a photo of Jesse on it. And they talk to whoever wants to talk to, uh, talk with them, and they figure that eventually they'll be useful to someone. And they are. They arrived in Santa Fe after a school shooting and hang out near a memorial that had been set outside. And it isn't long before they're listening intently to students of teachers and friends of classmates who have been slain, sitting with them in the pain, offering support to whoever might need it. And as it turns out, they're not alone. There's this kind of grim reunion that happens um, at these kinds of events. They connected with an EMT who had responded to the shooting in Las Vegas um, at the concert. Uh, they say hello to the guy who travels around with those white crosses that, have, um, that are set up, each with a red heart and a photo of the person who was killed. These are the networks that are created in the wake of mass shootings. But there are other gatherings. The one uh, for what have been called the Mothers of the Movement. Maybe some of you have heard of them. Mothers of young black people whose lives have been cut short by high-profile cases of police or citizen violence. People like Trayvon Martin, Sandra Bland, Eric Garner. And as soon as a grieving mother shows up in the news, the mothers of the movement reach out to that mother and connect for support, understanding, and shared mourning. Such events, we know, are just the tip of the iceberg. There are, with what seems to be increasing speed, more and more instances that we could point to, events we could name where lives have been cut short. Right? We only have to look back over the last two weeks. We are surrounded by death in so many ways. A couple of weeks ago, I had a chance to chat with Polly Toner, a chaplain at the University of Chicago Trauma Center, a place that this congregation had a part in helping to make happen. And in its first seven months since its beginning, this, this, its opening this past January, the hospital received 455 level one traumas and 467 level twos. Now, level one is um, trauma by penetration, stabbings gunshot wounds. Level two is more things like car accidents, bike accidents, that kind of thing. This is not statewide or even citywide. This is our neighborhood. These are our people. So just sit with that for a minute. Only until the first half of the year, over 800 of these. And now, as you feel this, you might have a feeling of what our ancestors of the faith were experiencing as the prophet Isaiah spoke to them in chapter 25. Even though it seems sort of upbeat in its tone, beginning with giving thanks and giving praise to God, you only kind of have to read between the lines in order to understand that this song of hope and praise comes not out of the good times, but in times of pain and grief. Isaiah speaks of how good and great God is, how God will one day gather all people together for a great feast of celebration of an end to the waiting for everything to be better. He prophesies, and God will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. Isaiah is speaking to what they are experiencing, that there is a shroud of death which hangs over everyone, spread over all the nations, that there are tears which constantly stream and an overarching sense of humiliation. These are not good, good times. These are grief-filled times, times of distress and anger, of fear and pain. Israel has been trapped in the chaos of nations at war, with one superpower following on the heels of another, caught in the middle of a never-ending political tug-of-war. 
lives that were cut down too soon by one military campaign or another um, are, are left there. And then for the ones who actually happened to escape the strokes of death, for them, there were food shortages and famine. Things were not looking good, and life was not going to get better anytime soon. That's the situation of this particular moment in Scripture. But, Isaiah says, things will get better. We will celebrate God's victory. We will celebrate an end to our mourning and our sorrow, the end of the heaviness that weighs down on our souls, and we will celebrate life. All of us together, those who have left this earth and all those who remain as a remnant. These bones that came alive will come alive again, together in body and spirit. He is telling his people, he is rallying them. Now for those of us who are used to the Christian tradition, this kind of language might actually not seem that astonishing. After all, so much of how we understand Jesus is that he demonstrated God's power to overcome death with life. We sang about it earlier. But in the Hebrew scriptures, this is actually pretty much the only time that we find someone speaking about the end of death in this way. It is powerful and important, and it's true, even if we as Christians understand it maybe in a different way. And so it should be no surprise that here in the middle of the prophets that we would see in God's activity to pull us all together, what draws us across space and time inward toward one another, at the center is a table. A table where the famished can have their fill, where the choicest of wines are poured, feasting on delicious food, feasting on flavorful life, reveling in God's good and restorative work together. Imagine at that table the people who have left this earth, the ones who have been closest to your heart and are no longer among us. Maybe they left in peace at the right time, having lived a long and full life. Or perhaps they were taken far too soon under the wrong circumstances. Or they are people who your heart still aches to see regardless of how and when they departed. Who are those people in your life? What story about them do you hold close to your heart? Just think about that for a moment. Today is All Saints Day, which if you come from a traditional Western church background, you might know is an opportunity for those of us to remember the folks who have passed beyond the veil that divides life and death. And if you're familiar with All Saints, you might be surprised to to learn, um, or if you heard um, Juan Pablo say it earlier, you might be surprised to learn that its origins lie not in Europe, but in Mexico. So we have this ofrenda set up here, which, as Juan Pablo said, means offering an offering table to honor and show love to the folks who have passed. People place photos, memorabilia, food, or even objects that they hope will bring joy to the folks who are being remembered. There is a day that is the day before Dia de los Muertos, the day that comes out of the Mexican tradition called the Day of the Innocents, which is the particular day set aside to remember children who have died. Ofrendas are part of the celebrations of Dia de los Muertos because it is important for us to remember those who have gone before us. Because we know that even if their bodies have left this place, they have not left us. One thing that I think is really powerful about Dia de los Muertos is that typically it isn't a celebration of sorrow, actually, even though we might feel some as we do that remembering. But in fact, it's a celebration of life. It would be almost an insult to the dead if all you did was feel sorrow when you thought about them. 
So if you're familiar with the practice, or if you've seen artwork even associated with Dia de los Muertos, you'll probably notice that there's kind of an upbeat quality about it. While sorrow may mingle with your remembrance, the intention is that it would be a sweet occasion. You go to the gravesite and you clean the stones, you decorate it with flowers and food or other objects. Perhaps family and friends have a picnic, a shared meal together, and share stories about that person as they remember together. They cry and they laugh and they shake their heads. The spirit of the holiday is a far cry from our ghoulish cemetery depictions in horror films. No, the time that we take to remember and celebrate together is an opportunity to claim what is beautiful and sweet about those who have gone on from this world in the midst of a world that is, at best, equal in its offerings of sweet and bitter. And so I thought I'd make some time for you to share about the person or a person who is close to your heart today, someone whose life has ended, who you miss and who you love, but also to celebrate if you're willing. So if you're willing, I'd invite you to take a few minutes to turn to someone close by, share about that person or share a story about them. Who were they to you? Or if you just want to take some time by yourself to remember, that's fine as well. So we'll kind of honor whatever, uh, whatever offering we give to one another. But um, share if you are comfortable or sit um, and remember on your own. And I'll give you about five minutes to do that. I'll invite you all to finish up your stories and your sharing. When the mothers of the movement gather for um, the reunions that they have with one another, and when Sandy and Mitch meet with other parents of children who have been slain, what's really interesting is that they offer practical advice about how will you move through these first six months, the first year. But they also tell stories about their children, about who they were, what their hopes for them were, and they cry and they laugh and they sit together. It isn't all sorrow, even if it is marked by sorrow. There's nothing that we can do to completely bridge the divide between the dead and the living, but we can get close in our remembering, don't you think? In our shared tears, the whole range of emotions that come up for us as we feel our love for them as we feel the emptiness of the space they used to occupy. We can find opportunities to touch joy even if we feel the twist of sorrow at the same time. And our passage today is not about forgetting our sorrows or using religion as an opiate. It's about claiming our connections with one another in spite of the ways that government or politics or humanness or even religion divides us. We reach out and we remember those who came before us as a way to honor their lives and carry forward their care and investment in us. Even now, Alyssa mentioned this earlier, even now as we enter this season of, steward, of financial stewardship, of asking folks to think deeply about making a financial commitment to UVC, it is an opportunity to recall and give thanks to those ancestors of the faith who made financial commitments to help us become who we are. There are countless people who gave faithfully out of their finances to carry forward God's work into the future, into our present moment. And there were many among us, I'm sure, who we shared about family members or family-like members, right, who poured into us without fully knowing who we would become. And so it is with those who gave faithfully of their finances to help us become who we are. 
And while some may have waited with eager anticipation a place like UBC, I'm sure there are many more of them who couldn't fathom a community like ours. In the Christian tradition, looking back also means looking forward. Looking back at those who have walked faithfully and courageously, sacrificially, and with commitment. Looking forward to those who will link onto our efforts and carry them into a future perhaps we couldn't fathom. We reach out because it ties us to one another, backwards as well as forward. We reach out because it reminds us that we are part of a much larger story that God is writing through each one of us. We reach out because we know, we claim, that the feast we have in hope today is a feast we will have in fullness with our ancestors one day soon. Let us pray. God, we are grateful that you remind us time and again You give us opportunities to sense our connections, to claim our connectedness with you and with those who have gone before us and will come after us. We are grateful for those folks that we have loved deeply. We give thanks for the gift of that love. And even as sometimes in some moments we might shake our fists and wail into the air at the ways they may have left too soon or the unjust ways that they have left We give you thanks, God, that we continue to have the gift of who they were within us. And so help us to be people who are not afraid of death, but who dwell with the dead, the ones that you have given to us, the ones that have left. Help us to live lives worthy of their legacy. Help us to be people who honor what they have been to us. And help us to be people who one day others might honor as they go forward in life. In Jesus' name, we give thanks and we pray. Amen.